Pastor Mark and Miles are here once again. We Yo. weren't we weren't here last week. I didn't have a voice last week. Uh, they all thought it was a rapture, bro. The rapture happened. Yeah, they thought Did we it miss was. it. No, I mean they thought it, and then we're back, and they're like, "Well, obviously those guys probably will make it." So. Okay, Mark, I want to I want to tell you something special. What kind of special are we talking about? So, I just brought up the subscribers for the podcast. No, really, we, we officially are at triple digits. Wow, we have one hundred subscribers wow Woo-hoo. i i told i said you told me when, when we, we get 100 100 subscribers we're famous we are practically we famous. Are, we are cross-connection famous well i wouldn't say internet famous because there's some people who actually are internet famous we're just cross-connection famous yeah cross i'm, I'm good with that but i mean here's what i like about hundred subscribers this is what i like about the number 100 yeah you can get perfect percentages out of it you can so if 20 people listen you had 20 percent <laughs> of subscribers were tuned in there you go. Yeah. So I'm good. A hundred. Wow. For some reason, your mic has like amazing echo in this room. It's like it, it's bouncing off the walls or something. Really? Maybe I'll just tone it down a little bit. Well, there you go. Give us your nice uh, FM voice. I can do my Luther band. Hey, man. What's going on? Hey there. Baby. So yeah, uh, triple digits. We have th- we have a hundred subscribers. Wow. I wonder who that... I, I, I would love to know who that hundred subscriber is. Hopefully it's not our moms that For, are just Well, it doing totally it. is our moms. Yeah. Well, you know. they might be the only ones listening. Okay, here, here goes a little shout out thing. If you are listening to this right now, if someone is listening to this, send us a text message at our, our texting phone number for questions, 760-814-1223, and let us know. I actually listen to this. Tell us your name because I just see a phone number. Yeah. We'll see if anybody's listening to this. The yeah. only person who'll send us something will be Greg Danskin. You think so? He listens. I know he the does. The elders listen. They're keeping an ear on us. It's probably it's like keeping not, an eye on you. Probably not a bad idea, actually. Probably not. I'd a keep bad an idea. ear on me. I think though. Yeah, I think so. I can't talk very well. Working on that. So um, yeah, I wasn't here this last weekend, but you were. Yeah, we had fun. It was great worship, and um, you know, just running into old friends. And I, I love Sunday. Sunday's like game day. Yeah, I love Sunday. I was at an away game. On game I day. heard you you were up in the hinterlands, the Northlands. In Northern California. You know, Northern California, it's still California, but it feels very different. Kind of Washington-y. It does have that feel. Yeah. We were north of the bay. Ooh. Yeah. Was it foggy and gnarly? No, and it was rainy? actually super, super beautiful. Wow. The weather was spectacular. Spoke at Calvary Chapel, Santa Rosa. Yeah. Very good group of people. Did they, they lo- like you? They love Jesus. Well, they love Jesus. I think, well, this was the they third time. They gave you time. a pass. This was the third time they invited me to come speak at their church. So I, I guess either either they give you three strikes and see if you strike out. Yeah. Or they like me. There you go. Yeah. If you get a call back, I'd say officially a fourth time they like you. Yeah. They're a nice group of people. They love Jesus. And I, I met probably like five or six different people that used to live in Escondido, which is totally weird. Yeah, that's weird. You'd leave Escondido to go to Santa Rosa. Santa I mean, Rosa. who would ever want to leave this paradise? Well, I mean, and let's just face it. You're going to get the same house in Santa Rosa. It's going to cost you like four it's times way more. way more expensive. It costs a lot of money to live in wine country. Yeah, the Bay Area area up there is it's not cheap. No. no. Down, well, it's now, not cheap here. Well, yeah, but we're in meth country. It's different. It's different, you know. Wine country, meth country. Yeah. You can't say stuff like that. Escondido's totally reformed. It's not like that anymore. 
Yeah, you should have seen our cameras last night. Oh, let's not talk about that. I'll just tell you that he's, I heard a report. I, I won't go into I the full. I heard that the, the Escondido's finest, the details. PD, the PD were uh, yes, they were dealing with some problems. The, in the super, cross connection. The, the super secret cameras picked up something horrendous, and I don't even want. Let's not talk about. No, that. no, no. The police, the police, it had to intervene. Good. So praise God yes. for Escondido's PD. We need like a temple palace guard here. At night. We like the police department. I love those guys and gals. They're doing a great job. They're wonderful. Uh, we're um, officially like frequent callers to the police department. They're starting to really know our number. We know so many of them on a first name basis. Yeah. When Nick calls, they just go, hey, Nick, how's it going? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, so we got some questions here. Scoundrels and scofflaws. We, we kind of have... I, I do have a couple of questions from two weeks ago. So we got like two weeks of questions. So number one, on Saturday, someone says, two women from the Jehovah's Witness Church knocked on my door. Felt ill-equipped to say anything, so I didn't. What should I do to be prepared next time they come to the door? Well, most people, they just prepare by having really thick blinds and curtains. You know what my plan is? What's your plan? I think that... Amazon and UPS and the Postal Service should team up with the Jehovah Witnesses to deliver your packages. I mean, honestly, I mean, they're going to be there anyway, right? They're I making mean, the rounds on Saturday. Exactly, and it's a works-based religion, so they can't steal the stuff. They have to leave it on your door, just like they said. you got to acknowledge their commitment, that's for sure. I'm going to say. I give them props say. for going door-to-door, because I've done that door-to-door witnessing thing. It's, Ooh, it's challenging, brutal. very yeah. challenging. Yeah, it can be, yeah, it's very hard. Very so, hard. have you had any Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come to your door of recent? Not of recent, and they don't really come to my door anymore. No, they don't. And now the last one is I had the a bulldog. Yeah, I was just going to say Walter and Jack. My dogs are definitely keeping them away. Yeah. See, the last time that and she seemed like a nice lady. My I twelve mean, pound poodles are really scary. Vicious, scary. So we had like a fifty some pound English bulldog. Yeah. And this dog, yeah, it always sounds like it was getting ready to die. Yeah. Or the La Chupacabra. I couldn't figure out which one. The um, shallow end of the gene pool on those dogs. Oh, that poor dog. But anyway, they, they opened the door. I was being very friendly. They opened the door. And um, Daisy. And Daisy the dog? The dog's name was Daisy? The dog's That's name was Daisy. Name. It, she didn't smell like a Daisy. I'll tell mm, you that. Mm-hmm. That's why I named her Daisy. But anyway, trying to give her some positive affirmation. And I just remember that it seemed like a nice enough lady, you know, lady in her. Six, this was from uh, Jehovah's Witness? Or? J-Dubs, okay. J-Dubs. They yeah. were there, and they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They're out there trying to earn their salvation and all. And and Daisy came up, and she had, like, legs with nylons. I didn't know people still wore nylons. But uh-huh. anyway, they weren't nylon stocking things. And Daisy decided to, to go up to her. And, you know, if you're trying to be a good door-to-door witness person, and you run into dog people. I mean, you don't want to offend dog people. They get all freaked out if you don't like the dog, right? So right. you got to make friends with the dog. So Daisy, but this poor woman, she was terrified. Of the dog? Of the dog. And so the dog, like, caught some type of, you know, lotion or something on the leg. And this dog was licking that lady's leg like an ice cream cone. <laughs> oh, man. And I mean. And those dogs have, uh, they have a lot of saliva. Yeah. Yeah, that's so gross, man. All, all on those, those the stockings. You know, I used to have a dog that had a lot of saliva. Andrea did when I first met her. She had a St. Bernard. Jackson? Jackson. Yeah, I remember was, the name. He was a drool factory. Man. Well, this amazing. lady, I have to say, she was, in the, she was in the face of danger, but she had to earn her salvation. And so she was, she was just looking at me and i'm like you know daisy knock that off that poor lady and daisy obviously didn't pay any attention to me when she becomes a christian she'll have rewards in heaven over that one 
Yeah, yeah. She, not, okay, so it. how do we how do we feel better equipped to to answer the questions of people? So there's through? a book, uh, Walter Martin. What was it? Kingdom, Kingdom of, the of the Cults. Cults. Yeah, you just whip that baby out and you bring him in yeah. the house and you just beat him over the head with that thing for a yeah, while. That and... book does weigh like forty seven pounds. Oh lord. Um, okay. I don't recommend that form uh, no, of No, no, no. So I have a new policy. Okay, new policy. Because you're typically not going to get into an argument with these people. And not a good plan. It's Yeah, it, it's not a great plan. So no. here's here's what I tell them. I, I, I do ask them, and I think you do the same thing. I, 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 I ask them, I ask them, I go, so are you here to help me or are you here to help you? Yep. Like, because you need to earn your salvation and coming and talking to me is going to give you points or something, right? And they got to be honest, right? And so they go, well, yeah, it, it's for me. And so I am always kind to them. And I just tell them, I said, you know, write my address down. My name is Mark. And I explain, hey, I've been, been a Christian for, you know, 30 plus years. I'm a pastor at a church. So you're kind of wasting your time. But here's the deal. One of the days when you're in a works-based relationship with the Lord, you're it, there's no joy in it. Nope. And one day you're going to get to the end of this and you're going to go, I just, it's not doing anything for me. It's going to be hollow. It's going to be empty. And you're going to realize all your friendships and your contacts and all those things are based around this works based religion. And that's when you need to experience something called grace based, mm-hmm. Jesus based. And so I want you, when you come to that realization and I don't care where that is, just, just, I don't care if it's 10 years from now, come knock on my door again. And we'll sit down and let, let's talk about what grace looks like and how much Jesus loves you and how the fact is you don't have to earn this. And and I because I, I, I care, I appreciate the fact that you are seeking and chasing after God. And I think God appreciates that too. But the way you're working now, there's there's not going to be any fruit from this. And you're, you're going to end up empty and hollow. So I really like to extend just compassion and just a, a, an agree to disagree attitude. But I want to really extend that. And I haven't had that person come back, but you know what? I'd sure love for them to do that. What a testimony that'd be. Because before, when I was a young Christian, I, I just let them have it with all the stuff. Yeah, I think that you you certainly need to be gracious to the people who come to your door trying to share their faith. Um, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to share their faith. They're very committed to their faith. Um, I think that they're they're not right when it comes to doctrine from the scriptures. So they don't they don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. And they're, they're basing their position with God on their their works. So um, whether it's a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, or pretty much anybody who's coming to my door and uh, I want to share the gospel with them, at the end of the day, there's dozens of different ways to share your faith. Right. You just got to share your faith. Open right. your mouth. Trust that Jesus is going to give you the, the right words to say. I mean, you can share your testimony. You can invite them to church. You can share the what's called the four spiritual laws. You can right. give them a track. You can do the Romans road. Right. Um, one of the things I've used with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door um, the, the whole thing that Ray Comfort does, I think is really effective. I've asked people, uh, if you died today and you had to stand before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And when it gets right down to it, those people from the Jehovah's Witness Church or from the Latter-day Saints, they're trusting in their good works to get them into right. heaven. That's not going to work. Yeah. So I just go through the whole thing. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. What's that make you? Liar. You ever stolen anything irrespective of its value? Yeah. What's that make you? A thief. Uh, the difficult one, Jesus said, if you ever look upon a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery in your heart. Oh, man. You ever lusted after someone? Yeah, well, you committed adultery. So I'll just say, if you stood before God on Judgment Day and he judged you with the Ten Commandments, that's just three of the Ten Commandments, would you be guilty or innocent? And uh, generally they're going to say, I'd be guilty. And I say, that concern you? Because uh, it should. 
You going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, or are you going to be cooking? Boy, we'll just leave that one hanging. Yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, and, and I do think it's really important. Pray before you open the door. Absolutely. And be led by the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes, be kind. yes. Don't be, be mean. Be kind. Don't be mean. Don't be haughty. Don't act like you know it all. I know sometimes Christians are tempted to say, I know you're a heathen and you're going to hell. Wait yeah. a minute. I think I know a story about a family I, member. Oh, man. It was awesome. My, that's right. We were, um, we were all running a house together because we were building a house. This is you and your father. My and your mom. whole family. And my dad's an old commercial fisherman. And, you know, he doesn't read books on theology. and No Walter Martin in no, his bookshelf. He didn't have Walter Martin in his book. The Saltwater Sportsman, yes. And, uh, but, you know, he believes what he believes. I'm really, really excited that my parents are both going to be in eternity Amen. with me. And I'm excited about that. They're in church every Sunday and love Jesus. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was early like a Saturday morning and ding dong. And the guys were out there with the, the ties and the and the, the name badges. Latter-day Saints. Latter-day Saints. And, and I, I'm up on the landing and I'm watching because I, I knew something amazing was going to happen. Because Chief opened the door. My dad opened the door. And Chief. And like the guy, they opened the door or he opened the door and he kind of gave them a real silent look. And they said, hi, we're from the, you know, the Church, the Church of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ of Latter-day Saints. Saints. And he, I'm Elder Joe and this is Elder Bob. Yep. And he looked right at him and he goes, you're Mormons, aren't you? And they go, what? Well, why we are? And he goes, you know, my son's a Christian and he told me about you guys. You, you guys are left rudder. <laughs> And 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 to my dad that means like off course or weird. Uh-huh. I love left rudder. Left rudder is a great saying. And so um, they went into this whole explanation about how they weren't a cult, and they were arguing. He goes, "No, I I told you to get out of here." And they go, "Yeah, but sir." And he goes, "Look, I told you." He goes, "Now get the hell out of there." He says, "Damn it, get the hell out of there." He goes, oh "Boy, we're Christians." <laughs> and they just kind of looked at one another. They said we should go to the next house. They did, but I did. I, I, I must have laughed for forty-five minutes after that. It was definitely a technique. There you go. And the whole yeah. So we're Christians. I love it. So okay. They never came back. So they're probably still talking about that in Salt Lake City. Share your faith. Be kind when yeah. people come to your door. Yeah. Be kind. Yeah. Be kind. All right. Uh, we have another pretty long question here. You want to you want to read this setup? Yeah. Here? Well, since I still have a voice, and you know, anyway. All right. My question stems from a quote referenced by Pastor Garrett this morning. How much of our church is American and how much is biblical? I think that's a great thing to always look at. I agree with that. Okay. Um, David Platt. uh, I guess it's a quote from David Platt also. It says, uh, recently I read a book titled Small is Big, Unleashing the Big Impact of Intentionally Small Churches. The book presents the argument that the biblical church was commonly small. And it was commonly led by ordinary people instead of the trained religious elite. The book brings up a lot of questions, but I'd love to hear your response to statements in the book like, most aspects of ministry are better in a small setting. Certainly a potluck. I'm with you on that. Um, so each can bring a contribution. First Corinthians 14:26. Maybe you can read that if you want, Miles, in a minute. And, and another statement, simple churches multiply more quickly. Uh, as in uh, China house church movement, how does a church the size of Cross Connection Church with multiple full-time pastors look like the church of Scripture? And if there are areas where it doesn't, 
do we have good reasons? Uh, FYI, I love uh, Cross Connection Church, and I'm not intending to be harsh with my question. And I promise my next question won't be so short. I, I love that. I love that someone typed this all with their thumbs. That's awesome. This is a text message. You know, I had a son that got through college. You had a son, like past tense. Well, he something you he still did, have and I still did. Oh, okay. I still do. Okay. Yeah, he he ran off and joined the circus. Well, oh. actually, he works on a fishing boat. Well, but I remember, like, he would type all his papers on his phone on an iPod. Nice, like you know, feet in the air on the couch. I'm like, how can you do that? I, I've got a computer. I, I've typed. I've typed some messages on my iPod. Wow. iPad. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. Um. This is a. This is a. Good there's, question. There's a lot of questions there. Probably there there's a lot here. Okay, piece. let me let me break apart one piece. Uh, this book that they're referencing, Big Impact of Intentionally Small Churches, um, says that the book presents the argument that the biblical church was commonly small. Uh, I would say no, not true. Um, there were a lot of small churches that equaled a very large church, but on the very first beginning of the church, the church went from 120 to 3,000. Yeah, and, and then, then swelled up to like 5,000. 5, right? yeah. yeah, so... So that's just not biblically correct. There are big churches and there are small churches and God works through all kinds of different churches. Uh, then the other part here, that the church was commonly led by ordinary people. Now, I think you'd be very hard-pressed to call the 11 men who were the first apostles, we'll not count Judas, uh, ordinary men. They spent three years with Jesus. That uh, was pretty extraordinary. And uh, the apostle Paul was pretty extraordinary. Now, what, what do you think that Jesus, three years with Jesus, Bible college? Yeah, that's a master's degree. Yeah. How, how much do you think that would go for a year? Ooh, I mean, I how know, would you like lots. to auction that off? You get to be one of these 11 guys. Now, I think I understand what, what, yeah, what is being said that. here, that they were ordinary individuals because they were unlearned and untrained men who had been with Jesus as the testimony. In, in of the, the beginning. Elite. Yeah. In the beginning. Um, so, so, you know, I, I agree that the, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that the, the work of the ministry is done by the body of Christ, the church. Uh, that's what Paul taught in Ephesians chapter 4, that God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the church, for the work of the ministry. So, yeah, um, there are people who are committed to the work vocationally. Paul talks about that. Jesus talks about that. So we see that in the scripture. But their, their whole aim and goal is to raise up the church to do the work of the ministry. Yeah, and I mean, I love the work that happens in small settings. That's why we're so big on connect groups. Yeah, our connect groups, we like those. Those are really, really important. And really, that's a big a model of sub part of the early church. Um, I have seen, like, we used to call them home fellowships, but they're connect groups, basically. Um, a lot of the counseling, uh, benevolence, uh, teaching a lot of things happened in those small groups. A lot of discipleship happened in those groups. I mean, I learned a lot about how to raise my kids and uh, study the Bible in a small group. So that's certainly a beneficial place. Yeah, you know, another part of this question it says, "quote This, I guess, this is from this book. Simple churches multiply more quickly." That I would agree with wholeheartedly. Yeah, uh, we we try to be a simple church, right? Um, the, well, you, we actually read the book Simple Church. Yeah, there is a book called yeah, Simple Church. There's a book a called book. Simple Church. Great book. We actually did the Simple Church thing before there was a book, or we knew of the book. Yeah. And so um, we just kept looking at one another going, oh, wow, we did this. Wow, we did this. It is certainly true, though, that uh, the American church in context of American culture a lot of times is not so simple. We've seen a lot of not-so-simple churches, and that's kind of the norm for a lot of churches. They get pretty bogged down with a lot of things that, are not necessarily in the Bible. They, they're good things. 
They can be good yeah, things. Yeah, can be good things. Or they can be idols and horrible, depending on how they're, if they're really in God's will or not. I mean, I really like the fact that we do something we call Simple Church here. Uh-huh. And uh, we're not doing a ton of events. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to make everything we do here at the church. I like to triple dip, as I said. So if we can do, if we do an event, we want to make sure that we're connecting with God, one another, and the world through Jesus Christ in that event. We that sounds good. We should things. we should probably make that like our mission or something. That, that is our mission. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our bold, well, it's six-year mission for me. My six-year anniversary was two days ago. On April Fool's Day. Yep, absolutely. Ha, joke's on them. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, so, we did hire you on April Fool's uh, that's Day. That's so awesome. I know. I was, I was hoping. I don't know if it was intentional. No, I was. Nah, yeah, it just no, happened. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, so let, okay, let's I get back love, to this. I do love that they said here that I love Cross Connection Church. I agree. I love Cross Connection Church too. Got it. Um, let's see. Ordinary people. So the train religious elite. Yeah. I mean, I would never consider us religious elite. Trained or religious elite. Yeah. No. It's. I mean. You know, I love the fact, and and I think that this is going to connect to another question that we're going to talk about in a minute about calling. I, I love the fact that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I would say that is right over the top of the pastoral team at Cross Connection Church. Yeah. We're, I'm, I, I know for you, you know, with God, each one of us is different. But for me, I was a carpenter and a fisherman uh, long before I ever thought about being a pastor and I was called into ministry and I was doing ministry and I've learned a lot um, about ministry through being a carpenter and being a fisherman and, and having a business and things like that. And I tell people all the time, I learned more about trusting God in our own home, small business there ever than I read in a theology, you know, a book about theology or any, 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 any book you've ever read. It's just different. And so I really appreciate the fact that a lot of Calvary guys are guys that just showed up and started doing the work of the ministry and were trained by others. Uh, I certainly appreciate education uh, and the researchers and everybody's, you know, a little bit different. Some people are real knowledge-based people, really research thing. I appreciate the work that they do in that. I don't discount education and, and academics, but for me, it was all on the job stuff. So a religious elite certainly does not fit us here at all. Yeah, and I would say, you know, when we look at simple churches multiply more quickly, example, the China house church movement, I think that when you look at the church, and I've had the privilege of being able to travel all over the world and and be involved with the church in places like Africa and Central mm-hmm. America and Asia and Europe here in the U.S., uh, everywhere you go, the church um, really takes on the form of the culture, and I think that God works through the church to reach the culture. And uh, so you'll find that the church does have differences in these other cultural locations, and here in the United States of America, we're trying to reach a certain culture of people with the gospel. And so it'll look, in some respects, more American-like, but that American church doesn't really survive well in China. And so you or know, the, church just, the church just takes on yeah. different shapes and sizes wherever you go. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, it, it needs to be a biblically uh, sound church that preaches the gospel and preaches repentance and calls people to faith and baptizes those who put their faith in Jesus and disciples them into obedience with Christ. And so that's what the church does. And that's what we're hoping to accomplish here for sure. Yeah. And I, two points on that one, if we were going to India, right, Africa, China, anywhere else, we would certainly try to learn things about the culture so that we did not 
make the gospel harder to hear, put up roadblocks to the gospel over silly things we did that were not, you know, that would not, we'd never compromise the gospel, but we wouldn't do silly things or say silly things uh, that made no sense in the culture there um, because it would hamper the word going out. It, it, it would, it would, uh, maybe we offend somebody for something that has nothing to do with the gospel. I, I'm okay offending somebody with the gospel. That's not an issue. Right. It's going to be offensive, but we would definitely go and get training to, uh, know how to minister to somebody in a different culture. I think it's a very important thing so that you're not stepping on toes unnecessarily, uh, in areas you shouldn't even tread on that have nothing to do with the gospel. So I would, it's the same thing in the United States. I have no issue with somebody taking into account the culture and things like that. And then the church is going to take on that culture. And certainly you go to, um, I have friends uh, in parts of Sudan where the church in Sudan does not look anything like the church here. No, that's for sure. You know. Well, um, I think we've, we've probably answered that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what is the difference between calling and anointing? Uh, well, a word on anointing, because I find this word to be kind of a, a little bit of a speed bump for me. Because a lot of times when you hear Christians in American context talk about anointing, they're generally speaking more from kind of Pentecostal charismatic background. And in that circle of the church, and there's a lot of, you know, wonderful, wonderful people that God is doing a great work through and in, in that circle of Christianity. But a lot of times they get big into this whole anointing thing. And it's, it's generally speaking about some sort of special anointing of the Holy Spirit that some specially, specially anointed person has or displays. I just don't see any of that in the New Testament at all. No. So, um, you know, that when you want to talk about anointing in the Bible, the place where you see anointing primarily is in the Old Testament. There were three classifications of people that were anointed, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And the ultimate anointed one is the Messiah. And that's right. that Messiah actually means anointed one. He fulfills all the offices of prophet, priest, and king as the anointed one. So um, I get a little concerned when you hear Christians talking about, you know, so-and-so is anointed uh, it kind of makes this super spiritual class of Christians that are in some way better or more spiritual than other people. And there's just nowhere in the Bible where that's spoken of in a positive light. It's uh, spoken against in the book of First Corinthians. So uh, I would kind of push back on anointing. But any thoughts on anointing? Mark? Well, what about when somebody goes, oh, that message was so anointed. So anointed. Normally it's someone who is really emotional and passionate. And they go, whoa, that person was anointed. No, they just... They caught the fire of, you know, a really good latte. The, okay. They had Girl Scout cookies for breakfast. I don't know. Red Bull. Yeah. That, Red Bull gives you wings. Yeah. I, I just think it's a poor, poor Because, I mean, you know, to use an interesting example, uh, Tony Robbins. We've, we've seen a couple clips of Tony Robbins. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, he looks pretty anointed with a lot of energy. I don't know if he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. Yeah. So, you know, if that dude was a Christian, he probably could have been a pretty good pastor. He's an interesting character, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. And now, I, I do think, you know, when we ever do our thing, crazy stories in the Bible, mm. David is anointed by Samuel at what, like 13 or 14? Well, there you go, though. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, the anointing of the king, right, or the right. prophet, it's, priest, or it, king. It's, it's a special... Right. It, it's very specific. Right. So he's anointed king... With over, oil. Yeah, with, with oil. oil. I, I will say, okay, we do anoint people with oil when we're praying for them to be healed, just like we see in uh, uh, James chapter 5. Right, for healing. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but you were saying about David. But David, he, he's anointed king over Israel. He's like, what, 14 years old or something? He's a kid. He's a young guy. Yeah. He was and ruddy, red. Rud, yeah, well, he's been outside. 
There you go, hanging man. out with the sheeps and singing songs. <laughs> but can you imagine, you know, some some holy guy walks in here. I mean, Samuel's known by Pour everybody. some oil over the top of your head. Big cheese. Samuel's a big cheese. People were definitely, Samuel had everybody's attention when he showed up because it could go bad. And Samuel shows up and anoints you king over Israel and you're like 14 years old. I mean, how does that work with the humbleness with the brothers and everything? That's crazy. I mean, he didn't even do the Goliath thing for a little time after that. So, wow. That's, that's. There's some good stories in Samuel. I love good it. stuff. I love first and second Samuel. Okay. But calling is, is different. Yes. So, um, anointing in the way that a lot of Christians use it. We don't see that necessarily in a good light in the new Testament, but calling, there's a number of passages that talk about calling specifically in Paul's letters. Um, first Corinthians chapter one, he says, for you see your calling brethren. And that's where he goes into that whole passage of not many, not many wise are chosen. Yeah. The foolish things. God has chosen the foolish things to confess. He goes down the rap sheet of, oh, of, yeah, of that's the pastor. Us. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, Calvary Chapel, many... you either need what, three years of, of horrific drug use or two years of surfing or a little of both. What, and that that's was your testimony? That was your testimony, I guess? Once upon a time, maybe. No. Yeah. Not me, but I'm just saying like the, the guys. So uh, God does calling. place a calling upon people. First and foremost, God calls us to be his children by grace through faith to put our trust in Jesus. So he calls people to be saved. That's one. Right. And then there are those that he calls out to be his disciples and his apostles. He called out the 12 to be apostles that he appointed to a task. So, you know, there are those who see that they are called in that respect as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to do the work of the ministry. So did the wee little man get called? That, uh, the Zacchaeus. Yeah. I talked about him on Sunday at the church. I was teaching at up in Santa Rosa. I perceive I'm a prophet. Today. Zacchaeus no. was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Yeah. But he called, he, he called was him called out. by Jesus to yeah. come down. Yeah. Jesus I said, today I'm coming to your house. You know, normally I teach my kids not to invite themselves to other people's houses, but he straight up invited himself to yeah. Zacchaeus's house. Well, I knew Zacchaeus was wanting to spend some time with a man. Um, I joke around with people all the time. Uh, I say, uh, you know, because different young people or something like, how do you know you're called to the ministry? I'm like, somebody called me. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that a few weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Somebody called up and said, hey, we'd really like you to come. Do this all the time, because when you don't show up, these things don't happen. Paul said to the Ephesians, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called. Right. So we've all been called to be Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples, and we need to walk worthy of that calling. And then he also calls some to be serving him. I think he calls all people to serve him, and not all people heed the call. If you're a dad, you're called to be a pastor at your house. There you go. There's no doubt about that. You don't, that's not a maybe. You're called. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He said that to Timothy. Paul did. Yes. Okay. How can we encourage others that their presence here in church is important to all the church? Just like that. Encourage others. You should be here at church. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like one of the things that we're big on is having it something to do at church for people because you show up and you're needed. Yeah. And it's, it's not on a, one of the teams. Yeah. You'd be on one of the teams. And uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, uh, if, if you don't show up on a Sunday and you have a job to do, Mark, do you like going down. to sporting events? No, I'm not a big sporting event fan either. I like to play games. I'm not a big spectator. I, I used to like sports a lot more before, but not, not so much now. I want to get in the game. I want to be playing. That's right. 
I want to be, put me in coach. So don't just be a spectator at church, be a participant. Exactly. Own it. This right. is your church. You were, you, you go do something for Jesus. But this Amazing. does bring up something that has been a, a long discussed thing among pastors and the pastor circle. Our pastors here, we've yeah. talked with other pastors in other places. We have this shift in American culture in the last decade or so where people go to church like uh, two or three times a month, maybe. It used to be two to three times a week. Now it's like maybe they're there 50% of the time. How do you, how do you learn? And, I don't know and, how you grow. Maintain and grow on, you know, three 40-minute messages and a month. 20 minutes. Because you only eat three meals a month, right? Yeah, I, I just don't know how you do it. You ever grow your changes as a, as a person. Um, one thing, though, in the very practical of this is like, you know, we have greeting teams. Hmm. Uh, one thing that I like to do as a pastor is is I get, while well, you're up there sweating and preaching and bringing the heat, bringing the word. We're back here making fun of you. No, is that what you're doing? No, we're not. No, I, I, like, not. I like to go out and talk to people, check in with people, see how they're doing, pray for people, um, do, you know, hands-on ministry, so to speak. And I like to encourage them that, hey, it's great to see you here. And, and, and they know uh, it matters. And then uh, for the individual, I know my mom probably, um, you know, she's like the CIA. My mom could work for the CIA. She could ask questions and everybody, they, they can't not answer. But my mom always takes time to talk to the people around her. And so when people are gone, she always lets them know, like, where you been, man? Like, are you okay? Were you sick? Did you fall off the Jesus bus? What, what went on, you know? And so she always tries to let people know that, hey, we miss you. And so, um, yeah. Hey, I have a, I have another little question that snuck in here underneath the what's the difference between calling and anointing. Uh, how does one go about finding God's will for their life? It's kind of connected to that. And so. Straight up. I have some thoughts on this one. Um, I think primarily God reveals his will to us by giving us desires, new desires into our heart. You know, the, the scriptures say in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, one way to read that, which some people read it, is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you everything you want, which I've never experienced that. Yeah. And so, but I have experienced that as I seek the Lord and I seek him in his word and prayer and I spend time with other Christians, I delight myself in the Lord. He gives me new desires in my heart and uh, he changes our desires. And so one of my favorite verses, actually is my favorite verse, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and do, will and to do his good pleasure. So he works in us, giving us a desire and an opportunity to serve him. So um, the, I think the best way to discern what God's will is for us is uh, what has God placed upon your heart to do and to do that as to the Lord. Right. One of the really practical examples I'd like to use is from the Old Testament in Samuel, the story of Hannah, Right. Uh, hurt, wounded, wanted a child, you know, her rival uh, would, you know, uh, jam her up and just really just kind of make fun of her that she couldn't have a kid. She was looked down upon in the society. It says she's weeping in bitterness and she's prayed this prayer that she had probably prayed a hundred times. She wanted a child, but what changed, I think it really does a great job illustrating that scripture at work. What changes, she says, let me have a son that he would serve you, Lord, that he would be yours. And that's what God was waiting for, was her desire for that baby to line up with his. With and, his will. With his will. And when her will lined up with his will, God is not denied. God is not. God does not get a no. 
He's in control of things. And so he is not denied because what he really wanted was he wanted he wanted her baby to be one of the greatest prophets that Israel had ever known. And so that's what he got. But her desires finally lined up with his desires. And she, how I could tell that it was a true desire is how hard was it to drop him off at three or four years old, right? She didn't renege. She kept her promise and she went and she did it. So that she, that was a real promise she made to the Lord. That was really her desire of her heart lining up with what God's desires were. So uh, I think that's a great example of it. Number Cinco. All right. Why doesn't this church offer an altar call? Well, I think we do sometimes. Yeah, not as the Spirit leads. I mean, we don't have people come forward if that's what they're meaning. Oh, okay. Like we have people raise their hand, lead them in a prayer. And then, you know, response, if, yeah, if you, if you said that prayer, come forward and then we'll right. pray. So. I think Garrett, did he do some sort of an altar call this last weekend? I think it was just a kind of raise your hand thing. Yeah. I wasn't in for that part of it. So. Okay, well, you know, this goes back to the question about things being cultural. You know, the, the altar call is pretty culturally American. It's not necessarily a Bible thing. Right, and I know many times pastors go, well, everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. I agree with that. And uh, so, okay, yes. But um, if you're sitting there standing up. Yeah, so I, I would and, say... Probably once a month or so, I'll I'll do an altar call as I feel like the the message seems to move in that direction. So maybe I need to do more. We'll see. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, Sounds good to me. Yeah, but, uh, but the altar oh, call is not necessarily a, in the Bible. Just so we're very 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 specific that you know. I love the way that you know. Peter did it in Acts two. Everybody was cut to the heart, and they said, "What what, what must we do to be saved?" He said, "Repent, be baptized." That was his altar call. Wow, smooth. Truly. Yeah. You won't see that on TVN. If we truly repent, number six, of our sins, then Jesus will forgive us and separate our sin from us as far as the East is from the West. How do we reconcile this with on Judgment Day we will have to give an account for every word and deed? What's your thought on that, boss? Well, I think Jesus saves us from our sins. We're redeemed and justified by putting our trust in him. That means that he dealt with our sin on the cross entirely. It's paid for, bought and paid right. for. Um, so when we talk about standing before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not to deal with a salvation issue. It may be to deal with a reward issue in eternity. You know, the Bible talks about rewards in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. I don't know that we can build a perfect theology on what those rewards are, but there is a revelation in the scripture that there's some form of reward and responsibility in the kingdom. So uh, how we use the gifts, time, talents, abilities that we have as good stewards, we'll give an account to the Lord on how we use those things. So, uh, so yeah, it's not a salvation issue uh, as much as it is a reward issue in eternity, I would say. My thoughts? Anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's really important. To, I, I'm glad, you know, we're not pushing a cheap grace thing here, right? Right. But... Um, I really think it's good for us as believers to be very conscious of the fact that we need to live our lives in light of eternity. I think people get themselves into trouble thinking, well, you know, I'm forgiven for this or forgiven for that. And and there is going to be a day when those things are going to be reconciled. Again, there's forgiveness, uh, but we need to live our life in the light of the fact that there is eternity in the actions and the things we say, the things we do. Uh, the places that we can fall short when we're not paying attention uh, can have bad results to those around us and, and ourselves and do damage. And so, uh, and that's an eternal thing. I want people to see 
my life and I want them to look towards Jesus, not away from Jesus. Yeah, so Paul said, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should should boast. boast. So it's totally of grace. But he goes on and says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the the right response of the Christian to the salvation they've received by grace through faith is to use their time, energy, abilities, gifts, everything as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, knowing that I'm going to answer to the Lord one day how I have stewarded all the things that he's given to me. And, you know, uh, the, the Peter Parker theology with, you know, power comes responsibility. Oh, that's Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Oh, yeah. Peter Parker theology. You know, I look at I look at all the amazing things we've been blessed with here, you, me, the rest of this church, and Cross Connection Church in Southern California. And uh, I think that we'll give an account to the Lord how we utilized all the things that God has blessed us with. Amen. It's a challenge. Yeah. No, it's, well, it's, it should be humbling and it should uh, focus us. Right. You know, uh, I, I, I want to hear those words. Well done. Yes. Good and faithful servant. And we're not talking about a steak. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. So I like my meat rare. How about you? Medium, medium rare. Yeah. 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 Some uh, pink in there for sure. I, I, I have it with don't Don't cook the taste right out of that. Oh, sucker. it's not poison. It's meat. It's glorious. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, number seven, God gave the Israelites a whole bunch of rules. That inclu- he did. Including the Ten Commandments. Uh, I've been, well, well, the book of Leviticus was hardly, you know, everyone God inspired, was it? I mean, uh, he didn't give every one of those rules. I, I'm thinking they, the, the Levites men have made up one or two. If I'm no, remembering my God, history. God no. gave them. Every the one law. of them? Every one 613 of them. laws. All 613? 613. The wow. Pentateuch. Six. The books of Moses. Yeah. Pentateuch. Okay. That sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings. Nah. Yeah. Okay. I've been reading them in Leviticus 19.20. Okay. Whoever this brave soul is who is in this Leviticus. This is a true Christian right here. This is the real deal right real here. Christian. This, I, I, Leviticus I, I, 19 and 20. God bless this you This person's for reading got Leviticus. staying power. I mean. I don't 20. know who this is. We don't know who these people are. I know, but 20, 20 in on Leviticus They're this time good. of year? They're doing good. The, the, they got over the Great Wall of the Bible, Leviticus. They, they can get past that. They're going to... They're on the downhill run. They're going to be in Matthew before. Just wait till they no get to Chronicles. Flat. Yeah. Let's see, I liked all the Kings stuff, though. All the Kings fighting. is great. Oh, Chronicles is it. long, Ooh, too, yeah. though. Okay. We can't some even are, get through the question. Some are related to sacrifice, others controlling disease, others for purity... I understand why we don't follow sacrificial laws because Jesus fulfilled these. But why not the others? Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yes, he did say that. So there are three kinds of laws in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Matt 5.17, by the way. The the rabbis did count them up, 613 laws there in the uh, Pentateuch. So there's three different kinds of laws. There are ceremonial laws, which is Leviticus is filled with ceremonial right laws. Right on. There are moral laws, uh, like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Those are moral commandments. And then there are uh, like civil or national sort of laws, judicial laws that are in the scriptures that were for the the governance of the nation. Israel was a theocracy. God was to be their king. And so... He's governing civil life, and so you have civil laws. So Man, they blew laws. that one. Well, we all do, don't we? Yeah. Um, so, 
So ultimately, the law that is contained in the first five books of the Bible, uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 7 that by the law is the knowledge of sin. So it reveals to us that we are sinners, and it is really good at showing us just how sinful we are and how much we need a Savior. So ultimately, the law, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, I believe it's like 24. I'll argue this, but not for the proud. Law is for the proud. I'm saying like when the proud people start reading, oh yeah, I keep that one. I keep, I'm something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we think we're pretty good at that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, before he was a Christian, he sure thought he was perfect according to the law. Yeah. We sucketh. So the law, the law is our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ so that we would be justified by faith. So ultimately the law is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, The book of Hebrews is very clear that all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament are done away with. They're obsolete because Jesus, he totally took care of all that, the sin offering and all these great things done by Jesus, once for all, finished, done. So the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, Jesus makes those obsolete. The moral law is still really, really important. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there are blessings in obedience and keeping the law uh, contained in the scriptures. And then the national laws, the civil laws of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, there's a lot of those that are very specific to the nation of Israel at that time and at that place, culturally speaking. But what they do show us is that societies, for them to thrive, there needs to be civil laws. There needs to be structure for a society to work. And uh, so we have civil laws today that um, apart from those, we could have some problems. You mean like a red light meaning stop? Red lights mean stop? Yep. Yellow. I had no idea. Gas it. Yellow light go very fast. Yeah, just in case. That's kind of what I think it means. Well, you can you can beat the camera. Well, you know, you know the what's awesome anymore. is when your kids, and you had four kids, have four kids, yep. I have four kids, yeah. They all reach this certain point when it's about maybe like four or five years old where they discover there are laws and they become like little legalists in the backseat. Do you remember little legalists in the backseat? I do. I do. Daddy, you're speeding. I hear that all the time. Daddy, you're speeding. The police are going to get you. Oh, I never got the I never got the laws going to get you, but I'm trying to remember. Yeah, just uh, uh, my youngest right now. He's really good at pointing out when I'm breaking the rules. See, my my kids are jokers. They're like, hey, Dad, what? What did you start driving like a Pentecostal? There you, like, go, you know, I go, hey, the spirit of darkness. Like father, like son. Dar- the spirit of darkness is behind us. We got to go. Drive faster. So Jesus makes all the ceremonial laws obsolete. We don't need sacrifices anymore. He died once for all. Uh, the moral laws still reveal to us how fallen we are and how much we need a Savior. And civil law reveals to us that for societies to function, we need civil laws. Well, let, I mean, let's spend a, a minute on the Ten Commandments. <coughs> every bit is valid today. We're not saved yeah. by them, yeah. but every every bit is valid today as they were the day they were handed down on the tablet. And they do a good job of showing us just how much we need Jesus. Absolutely, because we can't. We're not really so so great at. I'm not holy. Them. Are you holy? No. I mean, in Jesus, Jesus, I'm holy. That's right, clothed in his righteousness. Okay, I do have two questions that didn't make it onto the sheet here. So let me give you uh, question number one. Someone actually sent us pictures from their phone of the Bible that we were looking at. This is two weeks ago. In Acts chapter 9, the New King James Version says, this is Jesus speaking to Saul when he's on the road to Damascus. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then there's another screen picture here from the New Living Translation, and it says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So this person is saying, 
how come in the New King James Version it says it's hard for you to kick against the goads, and in the New Living Translation it does not say that? Great question. Mm. That's a good question. I mean, the, and we know what the goads are, right? I mean, the yeah, that's from the you're you're you got your ox and you are plowing a field, and he decides he ain't going to go anymore. So yeah. you got a nice long pointy stick to get him to do Give what you want him yeah. to do. And so God has been prodding him, and he's been fighting. He's fighting against the Lord. Fighting against Jesus this now, whole time. Now, you probably learned that that's a bad proposition. I don't fight with God. Don't fight with God. Bad you end up with deal. a limp for the rest of your life. I would rather go five rounds with Tyson. That could be painful, but it would be better than fighting with God. Uh, yeah, well, it doesn't have eternal repercussions. Be fearful of the one who can destroy not only body, but body and soul. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the answer to this question is... is Fairly simple. The the Old Testament and the New Testament has the best manuscript evidence in ancient documents of any literature from the ancient times. We've got thousands of scrolls and parchments and pieces of New Testament literature. And there are different manuscripts from which most translations of the Bible are translated or put together. So the New King James Version and the King James Version they are put together from a group of manuscripts called the Textus Receptus, or what's called the Received Text. And then books or uh, New Testament translations, English translations like the New Living Translation, the New International Version, the English Standard Version, the, the New Precious American Moments Standard. Version. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. a New International Version. Yeah. Um, they are translated from another group of manuscripts that are called the Westcott and Hort manuscripts, or they come under different names, uh, and they're all kinds of different manuscripts. So some manuscripts have variations. So there's variance between manuscripts. And if you have a printed Bible, this person was using U version, but if you have a printed Bible, sometimes you'll read in the margin, this section of scripture is omitted in some manuscripts. So um, some manuscripts have it, some manuscripts don't. The received text or the textus receptus has that little bit. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, whereas the Westcott and Hort text does not have it. So that's why you don't see it in the New Living Translation. And typically you're not missing something that's foundational right? in those. I mean, that, that illustration of you know kicking against the goads uh, or, or, or working against the goads, uh, as it's kind of illustrated there, very, very cultural at the time i mean you know i i haven't been been goaded no right no no not in not in 2019 right but back then everybody knew what that meant right i mean it really illustrated a point uh so yeah but you're not missing something that's going to be foundational in these translations at least i don't and i can't think of anything right now very very true but good question Yes, it is. Okay, um, I got another question here. And I actually know who this one's from. They may not have known that I knew who it was from, but I can tell. It says, I've been wondering about this for a while. Do you think that Jim and Dwight did stuff as friends after work? Now, Mark. The Office? Have you watched The Office before? I watched one episode. This is a question from the office. This is proof that we will answer any question on the questions and answer podcast. Okay. Dwight was the guy who was kind of the nerd guy, right? Yeah. And Jim was the guy who was always stirring it up. Yeah. You saw, you got this from one episode. Uh, one episode. There you go. I saw. Yeah. So did Jim and Dwight do stuff together as friends after work? No I'm way. I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. No, no way. No. No. I mean, because at work, you're on your best behavior. 
That was Dwight's best behavior? Oh, yeah. Can you imagine being unchained without human resources there? Boy, Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Okay, there's one other question here, also from the office. If I may be so bold to ask a second question. Do you know who this is from? No. Rick Kierstead. Oh, okay. Rick, we're answering your question, buddy. You go, Do you think Aaron... I'm going to go home and watch The Office now. Do you think that Aaron had a personality disorder... Or was just not given enough nutrition as a child. She seems to display uh, characteristic symptoms of an orphan who was not loved or shown physical affection as an infant. Um, I never got that far in the office, so I don't know who Aaron is. I, I don't either, but I do know who Rick is. I do. And Rick is like, I, when I, every time I see him, I think of the most interesting man in the world. There you go. He's got the hair... He just, he carries himself like the he, most interesting man in the world. He used to be a rock climber. Yeah. He likes to road, ride motorcycles. He was a missionary in... Missionary in what Belarusia. Yeah, Minsk. that's not even Russia. I mean, no, it's like... Belarusia. Belarusia, which, you know... It's even worse. It's not even a country anymore. If you think communism is bad, go to Belarusia. Right. They don't even have electricity or penicillin. No, they do. Come on now. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. All right. Vladimir. Wow. What's your favorite show right now? Do you watch good shows? Or, or you can't, you know, you don't know. We don't want to recommend anything. Like the other day we had to bring a housewarming gift somewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, let's get a pineapple. A pineapple? Yeah. I go, just, we'll bring them a pineapple. Pineapples are good. I love pineapples. Did you get a Costco pineapple? They're big. Well, I didn't get to go get the pineapple. But oh, they, okay. She's, she's like, what's going on? I go, well, on psych, they, they always brought a pineapple. Oh, okay. And I thought, well, it's a great gift. I only to bring. saw one episode of that. I liked Psych. It, mm. it, it took me right back to high school. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, bring him a pineapple. There you go. Bring him a pineapple. I, I planted the top of a pineapple and grew a pineapple plant, and it grew a pineapple. Really? Yeah. Did you eat it like it was edible? Well, here's the bummer. Right at the time that my pineapple was growing, we decided to move. And so I brought my pineapple with me to the new house. And unfortunately, it ended up in the backyard and didn't get much water. So my pineapple died. Wow. That could be like a children's book, My Pet Pineapple. I kind of felt bad. Yeah? Yeah. We transplanted a plumeria. I guess mm. they're from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. They smell beautiful. Okay, so we little put white this flowers. little... This thing was from my daughter-in-law's house. She forgot it, dug it out, forgot it. Uh-huh. Set out in the sun for like two weeks, which you're not supposed to do. Ooh. Missy just as a, you know, like, hey, let's see what happens. Puts it in the ground next to the house. The thing takes off and gets huge. Really? We did siding on the house. And some one of the carpenter guys who's helping, like, fell over and knocked the thing and broke it in half. We go, oh, into the plumeria. Nope. Thing came back. So this last weekend, I'm on this terror list of 300 honeydews. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're her, my list too. It's not just her making me do this. I just want to get things done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so much set. Is it wrong to have so much satisfaction of crossing things off a list? No, it's a joyful thing. It feels so good. There was that line, move plumeria. So my wife dug the hole. She's like a a superhero. There you go, man. She took this massive hole. And then I dug this thing out. And this thing must have weighed like 100 pounds. That's a big plumeria. Oh, it's all full of water. Ah, yeah. And so I stuck that thing in the ground with cactus mix and we put it in and... Cactus mix. Yeah, that's what you use. Succulent and cactus mix is what you use for plumeria. Really? Yeah. Huh. Put that in there, stop it. I would have never it, known. You know, uh, it hasn't fallen See over yet. See the things that people can learn on the 
answers podcast or did we call it the questions podcast i don't even remember i don't know maybe people we leave can learn them. some amazing things we're under. practically teaching horticulture See, i only i only ever saw plumeria around here in like uh, a pot and they weren't very big and no this I thing's went, like eight feet tall okay well so then i went to um hawaii and yeah they're like trees in maui they're beautiful yeah i got i had a buddy down in um point loma that had it looked like hawaii his yard was full nice yes huge. Mm-hmm. god makes great plants he does yeah um, I think that might be about it. Um, Mark or Rick, if you have any more questions about the office, I'm not sure that we have the best answers for those because we're not really office, uh, people, people. I mean, we work, we in, work an in an office. office. Kind of. Yeah. You know, I will say that we, we watched a little bit of the office years and years and years ago, Andrea and I did. And the problem with the office is you start to identify people you work with as the people in the show. That's not good. No. Uh-uh. And then I thought, yeah, this ain't good. Uh oh, because I mean, if I was in the office, who would I be? Dwight, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Losing my mind, throwing fire extinguisher. I, I was gonna say, more, more Jim causing trouble. Okay, maybe, maybe. I don't. Does know. that make me Michael Scott? That's terrible. I don't want to be that. Ooh, nobody mm. wants to be him. Mm-mm. Mm. All right. Well, next week, um, text us your questions. First and John, man. What's First we're, John? We're First John this weekend. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm looking forward to it. I got, I could practically write a devotional about all the stuff in there right now. Been reading ahead in First John. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. We're at 58 minutes and 40 seconds. Don't you go changing before we edit it. All right. See you next week. Bye.